Chuck and Julie, bringing you the truth straight up. I'm Julie Hayden. I'm working at- An Emmy-winning former investigative reporter, a highly successful trial attorney, and publisher of a major Denver area newspaper. They've been partners as talk show hosts and in marriage as parents for over 10 years, providing thought-provoking information, opinion, and entertainment live, local, and interactive. Everyone's voice is always welcome on the Chuck and Julie Show. And hello, everybody. Welcome to the Chuck and Julie Show. Chuck Bonnywell, Julie Hayden on this wacky Wednesday uh, before Christmas. Hey, just me today. Um, Chuck, this is why I'm going to say something incredibly sexist, but wives should always do the scheduling. Okay. Chuck um, had scheduled some dental work. I was like, why are you scheduling dental work? on the Wednesday before Christmas, but he did. I mean, he called me about a half hour ago and I think he was saying it was hard to tell because mumbling like that, that he wasn't going to be here for the show. So if he wanders in, then it went well. Well, I think it's going well anyway. But anyway, so it's just me today. Um, and we've got Mark Poff coming on here in a second. And then also Brent Hamachek. He's with Human Events and um, the Turning Point USA with Charlie Kirk uh, to talk about what it means and why we should embrace being a dissident in the 21st century. Um, but let's just jump right into it and bring Mark, uh, Mark Poffon, former El Paso County Sheriff investigator, has investigated numerous crimes and wanted to, Mark, we had you on a month ago talking about the Idaho murders and a month later, <laughs> wanted to get you back on. So, hey, welcome and thank you for your time today. Oh, you bet. So it was a month ago. Um and and it, it, it appe- at the time you said you think one of two things, either they're incompetent or they don't have anything or they had somebody and they were just keeping it quiet. I don't think they would be keeping it <laughs> quiet this long. I mean, what's just your overall assessment of what's going on with that case? Um, at this point, I, I think they're clueless. Yeah, I, I don't think there's really any other assessment <laughs> you can you can say. And when the chief of police, you know, I sent you that email. Mm-hmm. When when you do a public announcement like that, that that he did the last day or two, um, trying to address the fact that people have concerns that they're incompetent, it pretty much means you know whenever You're somebody incompetent. says in public, "Hey, I'm a great guy," or yeah. <laughs> you, you know, "I know what I'm doing." Trust me, right. I'm from the government. Right. You know, that's when you don't trust them. And you know, he made some statements in there, and and I was very concerned about what he didn't say, but he said. Combined, we have 94 years of experience. Like that was something impressive. Like, and it's not that that is actually very not impressive. Right. right. <laughs> he said combined, which means, okay, so you have the chief of police. What is he? Probably 20, 25 years. Yeah. So they're adding that. Then you right. got the captain. Okay. That's right. another 20 years. There's 45 years. So now he's saying amongst all the investigators, they've got 50 years of experience. Well, what, how many do you have? Six, seven investigators. So, so that, and, and again, I always say I used to be an avid scuba diver. Right. And whenever you go out on a dive ship, I don't know if you're a diver or I am. A I'm a scuba diver since I was 12, actually. Yeah. So they'll ask you, you know, how many years have you been diving? And they go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I don't care about how many years you've been diving. How many ocean dives have you done? Yeah. And that's really the point. I don't care that you've been certified. Like you just said, I've been certified since I was 12. Yeah. Well, when was really the last time I went? Right. Yeah. When's the last time you went <laughs> and how many times have you gone on an ocean dive? So my question would be to this old chief of police of Moscow PD, how many homicides have, have your investigators yes. actually investigated? 
I can tell you very clearly in my career as a detective with the El Paso County Sheriff's Office, I've investigated about 80 homicides over 10 wow. years. Okay. So that you can say, oh, Mark's got pretty good experience. Right. He investigated 80 homicides. And that's not what he's saying. And and also what he didn't say was, we're going to solve this case. Yes, you're right. They almost, yeah. always, even if they know it's a lie, they say, you know, we're going to, we're going to solve this case like tomorrow or something like that. And they always say, and we've got all kinds of leads. We just can't tell you about it, but they're not saying that in this case. Right. They're just saying that, Hey, we're, we're on it. We're going to stay right. on it. We're committed. Mm-hmm. We're a great bunch of guys. We're, we're all, in fact, he even made this statement. I wrote this down, um, saying how, you know, that they're, um, unified. Well, to be honest with you, I don't care if none of them are getting along. Yeah. I want you to solve the flipping homicide. This is not an ESG kind of situation. Like, look, we didn't solve the murders, but we are very diverse and unified right. and we embrace LBGTQ rights. I mean, great. Yeah, it's just, I, I really don't care about that. I don't care what their opinions or views or I don't care if they're a great bunch of guys. I, right. I want you to solve the crime. And I bet if you really asked them, I mean, how many homicides does Moscow PD have in a year? Probably and like it's probably one or two at best. And so at this point, you know, I always like statistics and I, and I always say 67% of statistics are wrong. Right. <laughs> so, um, so, but the statement that I'd like to make, and, and it just feels right, even though I know it's wrong, every 72 hours that you don't solve the case, you, you lose the, you cut the chances of solving that case in half. Right. Which means they're down to about a half a percent at this point. Right. You know, they're they're just you've got to solve a lot of these cases within the first 48 to 72 hours, or you've got to get some good leads. The real statement is is in the first 48, you got to get some good leads on where you think the investigation is going to go. And another thing that they've said that really interests me is they say that this was a targeted. What was I even wrote, you know, I wrote some of this stuff down that this was a targeted attack. Well, how, how, what are they basing that on? Right. And it's, I mean, the parents and it's one of these things. And, you know, I was a cops and crime reporter for 30 years and I understand what a mess it can. And we will, we'll talk about the Ramses here in a second, but yes. what a mess it can get with a complicated scene because you've got everybody and their mother is speculating. You have people getting leaks. You've got the parents now talking and each one of those persons has maybe a little piece of the puzzle, but it gets like apparently this white hundy that they found from somewhere unrelated. Now the dad was saying, well, my daughter's wounds were the worst. And then you've got the corner. I mean, everybody's kind of saying stuff, but my, but I think you're right. I mean, the reason I think that if they're not solved in the first 48 hours is because there's just not many clues there. If there are clues there, you go follow them and you solve it. If there are not, for whatever reason. Because so my question to you is one of the things we talked about last time is you mentioned that doing the DNA, this is probably a very, sorry to read to be graphic guys, but bloody scene. And you probably yeah. got a lot of commingled DNA. But a month later, wouldn't you expect some of that to be kind of done or is that not realistic? Within a month, I mean, normally the answer would be no. On, okay. a, on a regular case, okay. um, let's say a non-homicide, well, I guess we should only be talking about homicides. And you, let's say you turn in four or five items from a homicide scene and you say, here, I want you to prioritize this and then come back and tell me, you know, what I have. You know, they're going to have it within a month. In this case, I, I hope and see, I can't really talk from experience because I worked for, you know, El Paso County. Our, our solve rate was in the high 90s. 
right. solve the great deal of, you know, I can't speak from experience from being incompetent. Ooh, I love saying yes. that. So <laughs> I, I don't know what they're doing. I know what they should be doing and I hope they're doing it. But the, the state police should have the lab, the forensic right. lab. Somebody from a good there. Of this, but the, the detectives, one of the, the jobs that they do is they prioritize and say, look, I want you to do this first. Right. And, and here's, you know, and I don't know if they did this. I thought I heard someone say that they did bagging of all the hands of the victims. That's very critical because, and they've also right. said, and I'm assuming right. that the statements that are getting out are true. Right. A lot of times they will fight, especially with the knife attack. Sure. And again, I hate to be very specific about this. When you get stabbed, you grab their arm. I mean, it's just, yeah. you're going to grab, unless it's a complete a- attack or a surprise attack. And they said that one of the, the girls fought. So her fingernails should have DNA of right. the attacker. There's been plenty of time to get that process. Now, they're not going to answer any of those questions. If you right. said, if you went to the chief and said, hey, have you processed the DNA from all the because they clip your fingernails. Have right. you processed all the DNA from that? He's going to say, well, I can't talk about that. Right. Well, if this individual who committed this crime or individuals, I mean, we don't know if it's one, two or whatever. Um, what if they have no criminal history? You know, so then there's right. not, they're not in the system. You've got a DNA, but yes, right. you've, you've got DNA, but it's not going to, it's not going to pop up anywhere. Right. right. So, so it could take a while for the DNA results. And, and again, you know, with like John Bonet, there's hundreds of items of evidence that they've never tested for DNA at this point. So right. you've got to ask yourself, you know, did a lot of the Boulder PD guys move to Moscow? Yes. Um, well, so I, I'm very confused. And the dad said something, if you don't mind me kind of changing. No, go ahead. I, I did a little research today and, and he says something that really surprises me as a homicide detective. There's two things, you know, I've been to numerous autopsies. There's two things that. The, the coroner always has to give you, and you don't leave until you get these two items. Usually you get more, but you got to get the manner of death and the cause of death. Right. Now, most people are not working in the industry of, of a homicide investigator, so you don't know all the jargon in the, in the legal terms. Right. Dad said in an interview, he made a statement that their points of damage don't match. And, and there was a statement of means of death, and there's no such thing as means of death. Now, obviously, the cause manner and manner. The manner of death is homicide and all right. four of them. And, and, the, the, and, the, and yes, and the cause is like shooting, falling off stabbing, a cliff. whatever. Something. Right. I think what he's alluding to, and he said in this interview, and, and it's obvious to me that they told him to shut the hell up. Right. Because he said, I don't like them saying that I'm leaking or call, calling me a leaker. He goes, I've paid for the right. Yeah. You know, and he talks about how he sent his daughter off to get an education and she came back in a box. So he's obviously pissed, which I understand. Right. I have a daughter, but he says something to the effect, you know, about, about their, their damage doesn't match. I'm assuming, and again, speculative, just like everything else we're going to get, right. if this doesn't get solved. There's going to be websites and podcasts oh. and everybody's speculating right. as to what happened, um, whether it's a Mars attack or whatever. But it sounds to me that he looked at her body. You know, because he said that they gave her back, you know, he got her back in a box. And right. I have to tell you, as a dad, I would want to see my daughter. Yes. And he probably did that very privately. Um, and so, and, and a lot of times with after autopsies, which this is a, a very brutal thing. Right. They sew them back up, but they don't do it like a regular surgeon would because they don't care. Right. And it, it's not, no, it's very aesthetics. rudimentary. They don't care. So I, I really feel sorry for the dad having to see that. 
but he probably saw numerous stab wounds because he didn't release how many stab wounds no. or like that. And they've said in other releases, and I hate speculating from all these releases, that one individual had massive more um, injuries than others. And I told you in the last time I was on, if if they think it's targeted, yes. then one person should have a lot more injuries. And, and I think they've said that on the second level was where the couple was, the young kids. The, right. And then the two girls were in the, the, the third floor. That would make sense if he was targeting someone specifically on the third floor. Third floor. He's right. got to go in. If he came in the back, and I'm assuming this, because they said that they started doing stuff in the backyard or whatever. If they came in there, they were probably going to have to fight those two. Because think about it. You're sneaking in a slider, probably not going to go well. You wake up the kids in that room. So you have to kill both of them. Then you right. go upstairs. I would have to assume if he knew by going upstairs, had, had he been in that house before? Right. We, I mean, you would have to. Yeah, I think we can make a number of assumptions that, that now, how well did he know him? How, I mean, it seems like this was a party house, so it's entirely right. possible. Now, that's a headache for the cops uh, that probably right. dozens of people had been in the house. Um, wow. And, uh, you know, Tons of know, trace evidence. Right. And all kinds of trace evidence. But it, it does seem like you're right. So they knew how to get in and you, you they didn't go downstairs. They went upstairs and you would normally so they were clearly looking. I mean, to me, it seems to suggest right. they were looking for something. Um and you're right. It makes sense if, because we have heard information that one of the bodies had, you know, had more severe injuries. On the other hand, I, you could also say maybe that person fought hardest. You never know. Correct. Correct. Um, let me ask you this. So you're, you've been in homicide investigations. What must they be doing all day? I mean, do they just walk <laughs> in in the morning and look at each other and say, you got anything? No. I mean, I, I, they're probably getting what all kinds of tips and stuff. No, I mean, what are they? What do you do at a point like this? Because I get your impression, incompetent or not incompetent, they don't seem to have much of anything really. Right, and and all these tips are coming in because the police chief in his statement even talked about all these tips. Right, and with a homicide, you investigate, you, you follow every lead, every tip, especially if it's unsolved. Right. So I'm hoping that they're sitting down and each agent or officer is going through these, these tips, tips to see if any, you know, calling people back. And, and, and also the number of individuals, you don't want to leave any stone unturned. Right. So, you know, we have the video and, and this is kind of embarrassing. They're getting a lot of their video from community members. I'd heard one that they went through this video themselves for hours to find, you know, this one part. The cops should be doing that. They should be gathering all this video. Right. right. And they should have two or three detectives going through. And I know it's tedious and it's going to take forever, just like with all these tips going through everything. But you have to do that as law enforcement. So it, it really looks bad for them right now. And, and then bringing in the FBI, I, you know, maybe this is my <laughs> own bias or whatever. I kind of wonder about the FBI these days. <laughs> they don't investigate homicides. They go after previous presidents. That's what their title does. Yeah, yeah. that's what they do. So, exactly. If a Trump were involved in this, that, yeah, I mean, that would have had a case. Well, and you know, and actually, that on a, on a serious note, it's also my sense because I've again covered a ton of these. I think where the FBI is really helpful is chasing databases, chasing. Yeah. 
phone things. I mean, they yes. they have the resource to, to 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 chase that down. The FBI agents, from what I have read or you know covered, they're not the ones knocking on the doors asking right. people for stuff. Okay, well, hopefully not. And, and yeah. you know, I started going writing this all down. So what all you know? I think the way this is going to get solved, and, okay. and unfortunately, I have to say at this point. If it's going to get solved, yeah, this I might. Can't, I can't imagine how it's not going to get solved. But you know, John Bonet, but that was such a cluster right at the beginning. Right, and we can have that conversation. But so I wrote down all the digital evidence that they they should okay. have. That, okay. that you know, if they know what they're doing, and if they don't, they need to call me because I can tell them how to do this. Right. They should have already done a geofence, and we've talked about this on right. that house. Was what cell phones? you know, through social media or whatever, what was pinging from inside that house, uh, you know, an hour before hour after right? tower dumps, which is there should be at least nine towers, three towers for each vendor that could have um, provided service to that house, maybe less than nine towers. Every phone that pinged off of that tower or those towers during those two or three hours, it's going to be a lot of numbers. But, you know, if I get like the neighbor's phone, Okay, right. it's the neighbor, you know, right. get that off right. the list. It's and so phones. throw right. that down. Um, cell phone dumps. So they should have seized every cell phone from the victims. And I've, I jokingly say, you know, they used to talk about fingerprints and DNA solving all these cases. On a lot of cases, look at the last person that texted them or called them. And it'll right. be a text message saying, I'm going to come over there and kill you. Well, right. that's probably your person. So that's right. getting all the information off the cell phones of the four victims get their cell phone records. You can right. do that as well. And then like this Adam guy or whatever, right. you know, they say, oh, well, you know, we've already, you know, said he's not a suspect. Did you go through his phone? Right. And and and, exa- and then you just start, and that's the kind of thing, again, where I'm sure they have all the help they need. I mean, we, we actually right. have a question about that, but, exactly. but you're right. And then you just start looking for a pattern, basically, right? right? Any, anything that pops up. So social media. Yeah. You know, go through everybody's social media, computer forensics. I saw them taking, I saw monitors. I didn't know if it was computers of of the other students, you know, like the two in the basement, you know, every computer that was in that house, they should try to see if they can get a warrant and go through every of those. This is one where I think they have just totally failed. Okay. I think it's obvious at this point is surveillance cameras. There's, there's, you know, ring cameras, there's surveillance cameras everywhere. So, you know, the food truck video popped out, you know, right. and other things like that, you know, is credit card receipts and things like that. So there's a lot of digital forensics that right. could come into play on this. And I think at this point that, that may, that may be the only thing that actually solves the case. I mean, that or, or I, I mean, if they, I've got to assume they have some DNA evidence and and you would i mean and maybe somebody you know pops up i I would say by now if they haven't popped up maybe the person isn't in the criminal database which is under which is understandable um but but that that person pops up someplace else and it causes them i mean yeah yeah, i mean you need that and then you get the dna then you get the fingerprints but i gotta go with you i mean and i wanted that you gotta wonder if it's going to be solved at this point without luck basically right what about competence? So I know because, you know, you and I have talked a lot about the John Bonet Ramsey case. And um, I mean, that was completely mishandled from the beginning. And the beginning. and I think no evil intent. I think they were a little bit intimidated by the Ramseys. I think it was just a cluster, frankly. And I think everybody thought everybody else had done something. 
Um, but then I do know, cause I had a, a source who was in Denver homicide at the time and they immediately called and Bowler said, no, stay out. This is our homicide. And they right. apparently told that to the FBI too. They said, we got this. I mean, which it exacerbated the incompetence before, you know, I mean, on day in the first few hours. Yeah. Yeah. So Boulder will not hand off the case. That's right. Point. Right. And you got to ask yourself why, why at why? this point it's sheer embarrassment. Right. And right. arrogance on their part. And I don't know if you read the article um, a week or so ago where they brought in a new chief of police. This is my understanding. He did some kind of internal audit and found out that there was a detective that was not following up on leads. And and as it come to find out, some of these individuals, I think, worked on the John Bonet case years ago. Uh-huh. And some of them got demoted. But see, that's the whole mentality of law enforcement is this this brotherhood, which we can't right. use term anymore. Um, whatever would be the right term, they don't want to tell you where they make mistakes. They they don't want to admit that, right. you know, because why don't they want to solve it now? There's hundreds of items that were seized at John Bonet's house that were never tested for DNA. Yeah. And at this point, what do you got to lose? Right. Exactly. So why would the DA right now, the DA of Boulder and Polis right. you know, and the attorney general for the state of what is it? Wisen, whatever. Wiser. Why are they just saying, well, what's the big deal? Well, let me tell you what the big deal is. You know, there's a murderer out there. I mean, they could have died of old age by now. And nobody seems to care to want to test this stuff. And and I saw some of this in the Tom Clements case. Oh, yeah. Where Governor Hickenlooper knew that there were other people involved in the assassination of Tom Clements. We knew who they were. We had a, I've never worked on a case where we had a confession of one of the conspirators who told exactly his role and who else was also involved. They don't want to know. Video, on video. And and they still don't want to prosecute. So, Well, look at the Sean May, right? The Adams County DA who was murdered, right? You, I mean, when covering this case and through some information way back when with you too, we found out that there was a guy in prison who, who essentially told them, who, who yes. did, you know, and when you ask the Denver cops, did you guys ever follow up on that? They're like, no, I mean, and that is another baffling thing. And I want you got to wonder if maybe that is starting to go on here at a certain point. You're right. The Boulder police would just as soon have it be unsolved than yep. they would to, to pursue things. And I know, I mean, shoot, you could go through case after case. I remember a Columbine, the Jeff Coast sheriff was totally t- trying to smother the information that they had had Harrison Klebold were kind of on their informant role as well. And that they had, had, had them under investigation. Right. I mean, it, so you got to wonder if maybe something like that is going on, that maybe initially some mistakes were made and, you know, they just are going to keep floundering around. Right. And, and they don't want to expose the mistakes. You, you know, I'm, they obviously did not follow Locard's principle. Um, when you look at that actual crime scene, so many people went in. Yeah. Completely contaminated. You want to minimize. And, and we used to run in this all the time at the El Paso County Sheriff's Office. We're all the supervisors. You know, whenever we had a high profile or an interesting homicide, all the supervisor would show up and they'd want to be escorted through the crime scene. Yeah. And it's like, well, with Locard's principle, which states that every time somebody goes into a crime scene, they're going to bring some trace evidence in and leave it. Right. And they're pick up some trace evidence and take it out with them. So right. the whole goal of this is to minimize who goes into that crime scene. Well, well that house is almost like a flipping museum right now with, with yes. the number of people that have gone through it and stuff. And now they're taking stuff out, which I just can't. 
No, that, I, well, and you, like I said, you got to wonder. I mean, that was the case with the John Benet Ramsey case, right? Where rather than immediately sealing the house, separating the parents, interviewing the parents, all of that, the Ramseys are holding their church. I mean, you, you know, without going into who may or may not have done it. I mean, it was completely. And, and by the way, the Boulder cops never got around to searching it. I, I mean, it's, I mean, you know, that would seem to be scene number one. I mean, clear the house, search it. And I got to wonder if maybe that was a here, thing here too, where somebody in a experience comes in finds us goes holy crap yeah. right and everybody comes rushing in and friends are there and it was just a cluster um you know i don't know i, I think i i gotta go with you though at this point it seems like i have a hard time still imagining that just one person could have done it but I, that they don't seem to be indicating that there was more than one person there and you would think they might know that there might be some kind of evidence there um I mean, it looks like sort of some kind of lucky break. Yeah, they seem to be more concerned about trying to explain to the community that they're not incompetent right. than they actually are trying to solve the case. And right. again, it is a little speech, and I would tell everybody to go out and look at this on the internet, the chief of police making this statement, basically saying we're not incompetent. If I have to tell you that, you know, <laughs> know. like he's telling my wife, I'm a good husband. You well, know, it's, it's kind of, I have to laugh because Chuck, Chuck is brilliant, right? And every so often I have to say, well, I'm smart. And Chuck just kind of looks at me and laughs. <laughs> it's kind of well, yeah, if, if you, you have, have to, to tell assert, somebody. <laughs> and every but, so often I would say to him, yeah, I was practically famous for a while there. And he's like, yeah, if you have to say that, Julie, you're not. Then you're, then you're not. And, right. And, yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I think there is going to be, if this takes, you know, back when John Bonet was murdered, there really wasn't a lot of what we call the internet back then. Yeah. Now we're in full steam, internet, social media. I mean, just right. all kinds of stuff, which is another reason why we're surprised that this hasn't been solved with just so many avenues. The internet. Video solutions. cameras and all kinds of stuff. Right. You're going to see websites come up. You're going to get, you know, if it keeps going in the direction that it could, if they don't solve this. Internet sleuths. I mean, you hear that right. term all the time. Internet sleuths. Now, listen, I, really, that's that's what we're doing. They it, were, it, uh, and they were on the Ramsey case. And like you said, this is way back when those people had. Uh, I mean, as a reporter covering it, you you read them every day. Some of those people were really very good. Well, here's one for you. What do you think? So you're the killer. I'm the killer, right? Um, I, I got to wonder. I mean, this would be the only killer maybe not the only but in like that recent history to not like have their own instagram tiktok account already i mean you got to wonder if this person goes public or something like that i don't know if it's a true psychopath we're not done yeah if this was if this was truly a target targeted event against one of the two girls and this is why they need to do a timeline i'm sure they've done all i say that a timeline walk in their shoes figure out you know who they're talking about with this Adam. And of course they're not going to tell us, but right. that's just, just do all that stuff. You know, if he truly did this, I want to say for not, not publicity, but a, a true psychopath, right? they're going to strike again. And a true psychopath is going to still have the knife. He's still going to have some trophies from right. that house. Yeah. If this was an isolated event of someone maybe who was romantically, you know, attracted to her and, and she rejected him for, you know, whatever the typical. She, she may not have even known it, right? Right, right. exactly. And if, if it's for something like that, he's probably already destroyed all the evidence. You know, the, the knife is long since gone. Gone. Dumped in a lake or, or whatever. 
Um, and, and hopefully most people, sane people, that's why I say about a, a true psychopath, a sane person can't kill like that without their guilt right. really weighing on them. That's what I was going to ask. I was, if it was, you got to wonder if it was just some semi-psychopath, right? Exactly. And that, that number one, that person may has probably dropped off the radar. And, and like you said, is probably not, you would think not being themselves. And, you know, I don't know. It, it, I, I am baffled that you got to think a case like this, it probably left so much evidence um, that, that this far out, they don't seem to have very much at all. Um, yeah. You know, and- one thing I would do just to, I know we, we need to wrap this up. I, I would look at every student that de-enrolled de- from right. Idaho after this, because right. if right. this was somebody who just kind of freaked out was going to the college, I can't imagine them coming back to college. Right. But there's probably been a bunch that said, hey, I'm not going back there. Because you haven't solved the murders. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like if you cut somebody off on the interstate and it's your fault. You know, you did. You want to get as far away from that. Yes. As possible. <laughs> it's the same thing here. So if this person is someone who truly guilt is, you know, they just went crazy that night or whatever, they're probably disenrolled from the college or whatever it's called. Um, and then they've moved away and they're going to try to get as far away from that college as possible. I I would have a detective working on that, you know, exactly. College. Exactly. Oh, well, Mark, listen, thank you. I think it, it's just, it's interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll have you back on as they do it too, because it is, uh, uh, you know, and I, I think you're right when, when you have to go out and have a news conference to say, yeah. no, you're not incompetent. That's a bad, and that's the only thing you have to say, right? You can't right. offer anything to back it we up. We know what we're doing. <laughs> All right, sir. Thank you for your time. Right. Have a Merry Christmas. We'll talk to you soon. All right. All right thank you. And guys, I've seen everybody's got all these great comments in Zoom. I think we don't have time to 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 challenge or to, to challenge them, to take a look at them all the time because I already see our next guest is here. Um, and so we'll, we're going to switch gears, though. Now, I just I just like, you know, like I said, I was the cops crime and court reporter for like 30 years. So I'm always fascinated by these things. But I'd like to switch gears um, and bring up um, Brett Hamachek with um, Human Events Media Group, also works with Charlie Kirk and the Turning Point USA. Um, so, Brent, hey, thank you for your time on this Wednesday afternoon. I'm excited to be here. I'm sorry to cut off the last guest. I was enjoying it. I'm uh, Criminal profiling has been a sort of a strange hobby of mine for a long time. In fact, I think the best business book ever written is the FBI Profiler's Manual, ah. which I recommend to young people all the time because... Uh, because of the thought process and the logic that it teaches. So it's uh, it's a great business book, although it wasn't written in that vein. <laughs> well, yeah, Mark Poff, he's a former El Paso County Sheriff investigator, um, and we bring him on all the time. He's, he's, he's a great investigator. Um, but one of it, you know, Karen Cadling, who um, I know you've been on her show, she recommended, she said, you've got to get Brent on. He's amazing. Um, and I could tell with one conversation with you, that's right. Hey, and you joined a little late. So normally, Chuck, my husband, is a co-host. He... I think foolishly scheduled some dental work today, which went longer than usual. So it's just me today. Well, sometimes um, dental work schedules itself. So, well, that's uh, what, that was what his response was. But mm-hmm. I know one of the things, I mean, there's so many things we could talk about, but one of the things I did want to talk to you about was this great essay you wrote a little while ago, basically understanding and embracing the role of the 21st century dissidents. Um, which I think we are, at least I consider myself and, you know, and um, so talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. It's uh, it still fascinates me that uh, all this time later uh, it's still relevant. And uh, I just recently 
on human events published an update to it uh, sometime in late November. Folks can go to humanevents.com and read it. But I originally penned it right after January 6th in January of 2021. So coming up on the on the two-year mark, and yet here it still is. And uh, what happened was after I watched what took place on January 6th, uh, I had a sense of what was coming. And it, it turned it turned out I was, you know, I guess, fortunately, maybe I, w- I was right or unfortunately, I was yeah. right. But but uh, my thought was this, is that folks like you and I, folks like probably most of the members of your audience who believe in archaic notions like the Constitution and free markets and individual liberty, we're going to find ourselves increasingly treated as though we did not have the same rights as others. We would still have them on paper. There'd be nothing that would change that way, except we wouldn't have them in effect. You know, rights on paper are only as good as the people who are enforcing them make them be. And so my idea was to let people know, A, we're dissidents now. Our our role models are no longer Washington and Jefferson. They're Solzhenitsyn and Valesa and people like that. I wanted them to understand how we got here and what that meant. And then I wanted to tell them what it is they needed to do. And so I tried to put those things together in an essay. At the time, it was too lengthy to publish on human events. Uh, Our standards were different than they are now. So I just threw it on my own personal website. And uh, lo and behold, what happened is it got picked up by a number of conservative websites. And the next thing you know, I literally had people reaching out to me from all over the world. Uh, Example I always like to cite is somebody wrote to me from Australia and asked if they could use it for their weekly readers group. Uh, So I thought that was wonderful. And I wrote back to every, I think I got over 500 emails on it and uh, wrote back to every single person. Wow. um, But that's the gist of it. And that's the, the, that's the origination of it. But, and I do, and I highly recommend everybody read it because I did. And I thought, I mean, I found, frankly, found it encouraging because it's, it's like, okay, yeah, you've put a word to what we are. You know, we're not, we're the res- we are the resistance, but you know, we're, we're not this, but we're dissidents. And to think of ourselves sort of historically in that way. Well, let me ask you, I mean, could you have even predicted then how right you were going to be? I mean, you look at, so the January 6th commission wants to, you know, have the Department of Justice prosecute Trump. And yet on, on the other hand, we've had all of this information coming about about the Department of Justice spying on Congressman Nunez and his staff. Um, we've got the Twitter files. Now we got the Pentagon. Oh, you'll be pleased to know the FBI, though, says these are just conspiracy theorists spreading misinformation, right. the Twitter files. I mean, did you have... We knew it was bad, but even I didn't think that the FBI would be actually paying Twitter using our tax dollars to spy on us and surveillance us and censor us. I mean, could you have even imagined that or or could you? Uh, Yeah, I don't. You know, I'm new to your audience, so I certainly don't want them to think me vain. But yes, I, I could imagine it. That's why I wrote the essay. And it's not because I'm particularly bright. I I think it was fairly obvious. And what the reason January 6th was so important is not because of what it was. It wasn't an insurrection. I mean, if it was an insurrection, it was led by F troop. Right. Uh, I mean, that's just sort of silly, right? And I think and FBI informants. So right, right. I mean, if anybody thinks it was an insurrection still today, there I liken them to sort of being a bedwetting idiot. I mean, there's just it's just obvious it wasn't an insurrection. The reason it was so important, and I'll refer you back in history 
to the famous line from William Randolph Hearst when his reporter in Cuba sent to cover a civil war there was letting him know there just wasn't much going on. And and Hearst famously wrote to him and said, you give me pictures and I'll give you a war. And what January 6th did was provide images pictures. to the totalitarian structure in this country to be able to turn to people and say, look, look at these pictures. These people are dangerous. Right. And we're going to have to take some very, very severe steps to control them. And we're going to do it for your own protection. Yep. And that's exactly what they did. And that wasn't hard to see coming. And everything that's happened since is is was predictable. Right. And uh, it's not going to get better anytime soon. Uh, I republished this essay because a lot of people asked me to update it after the November elections because I got a lot of phone calls from people saying, wow, I, I was wrong and you were right. There was no red wave. And ah. I was trying to tell people there was never going to be a red wave. People get fooled by proximity. So they look at the last couple of years and they say, oh, look how bad this has been. You know, everybody's got to see how bad this is. And, and they're going to go to the polls and they're going to reject this. What they didn't understand is they didn't stop to think that the last two years have been the natural next step from the previous 100 or so. We didn't get here in a blink of an eye. We got here through a long string of cause and effect. And we've been marching towards collectivism for decades. And so the fact that we had a greater level of collectivism over the last couple of years wasn't going to reverse the nation. They asked for this. Right. Clearly, Americans asked for this. There's no other way to say that. And, um, you know, we're, we, we, we sold them the rope to hang ourselves with over time. And so, yeah, there was never going to be a red wave because you don't mass in, reject in mass something you've been voting for for over 100 years. Well, and then and then the Democrats, just to make sure of things, institute election policies and procedures and, you know, emergency things, too, that that kind of are the icing on the cake. Well, you know, to your point. Um, I, we were talking about this our last show. I said, and, and I want to get into what you think as dissidents, what do we need to do? But, but I say a lot of it is we just have to be, you know, you want to get tired and you want to say, oh, I don't really want to deal with this anymore, but we can't, we can't do that. Um, and I'll use an example. I have a friend. So in Denver, we're a sanctuary city, right? And over the past couple of weekends, they've received hundreds of illegal immigrants, most of them from Venezuela, right? Now, the Denver media didn't want to talk about this. And my friend said she lives in a a, a little nice neighborhood in Denver, went to use a rec center with the two girls to go swimming and was told the rec center was closed indefinitely because it was full of illegal immigrant Venezuelans. And her like seven-year-old daughter said, are they using all the swimming lanes? And the lady was like... And she's like, what's going on with that? Today, I was having, we, I have a son and we were at this little urban air de- defy gravity place. And we were talking about our utility bills, right? Our heating bills. And this mom said, why is the price of natural gas going up so high? And now this is an educated, you know, I don't mean to talk, she's a bright woman. And I'm kind of like, are you not paying attention? Have you people not been paying? I mean, what did you think was going to happen when we opened the border? What do you think was going to happen when we cease any and all energy production in this company? And they're like, gall, you know, it's just they just hadn't noticed anything. Right. Well, look, uh, people might be political animals by nature. One, it's one of the great, you know, debates between philosophers and political scientists for centuries. 
we might be political animals by nature, but we're not necessarily political. So we're, we, we have a nature that uh, wants us to, you know, being political, you can think of the things you do in your office or in your own family, right. and those sorts of things, those maneuvers. But that doesn't translate into saying that we want to go into the public square and get involved in things. So uh, most people simply want to go about their lives and right. have a little fun and make a little money and raise their kids and do all those sorts of things. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when they turn their attention away from the public square, then, you know, uh, politics abhors a vacuum. And so people like us, we believe in we're individualists. That's the term I use. And as individualists, first of all, group action is almost foreign to our nature. Um, We're individualists. We like to be individuals. Secondly, we're not we don't want to take control of anything or anybody. Right. So when we step away from the public square, the vacuum gets filled by people that do naturally form in groups and who do want to actually take something away from others. So we've surrendered that space to them for a very, very long time. Again, none of what has happened in the last couple of years is new. It's next. There's a difference. They start with the same two letters. They're two very different words. So it's not new. It's just next. And and next isn't done. No. And and do you think, did, did Trump sort of, I mean, the way I put it is he kind of red, red pilled, I think people. And I think their hatred of him, I, I mean, do you think I do, but do you think that, that it, this, it escalated and it, it kind of, or it had it just already by nature reached a tipping point, do you think? Well, we had a number of things that, that happened that have sort of accelerated the, the process into where we are now. In the essay, I mentioned the January 6th incident. I mentioned the pandemic, which allowed government at all levels to impose authoritarian restrictions on people's rights. And then I mentioned the, the Michigas that took place in the 2020 election uh, that set people on edge caused them to lose faith in the system on one side and realize they could take control of the system pretty effectively on the other. Ah. So all of these things came together at a critical time, right? I mean, you have three really genuinely huge events, all of them happening within 24 months of one another and a couple of them happening within a few weeks of one another. And so that's that's an accelerant, right? So there was already a fire, but those were accelerants to it. Uh, in terms of Trump's effect, you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at, at Trump's presidency. Um, one of the reasons I'm on your show today is because in March of 2015, I was able to 20, predict before he declared that Trump would likely be the next president. And I did it in public. So But I didn't do it because I was trying to place a long shot bet in Vegas. I did it because at the moment the country was in and given who he was and given his ability to at least momentarily break up the two political teams in this country, it was very clear there was a path to victory for him that existed for no one else. And he was able to ride that path, walk that path and do it successfully and get elected. After that, his presidency is kind of a mixed bag. Um, you know, in terms of success. I mean, if you want to talk about some negatives, and I think it's worthwhile, he was probably the worst personnel president in history, or darn close. 
Not you know, great people hire. talk about yeah, t- people talk <laughs> about what a great businessman he was. Well, he didn't spend a lot of time in HR. No, <laughs> and he made a lot of bad hires, and he stuck with a lot of bad hires, and so he was poorly served by the people around him. Right. And uh, you know, and and then there, there was another very simple problem. You know, everybody knows about his personality, and that personality was very good at galvanizing a base and firing people up and waking people up. It did do all those things, but then it wasn't able to bridge the gap in sort of, I don't know, like, like in a, um, in a, in a three-part concerto, he wasn't able to go to that slower second movement and bring other people into it who maybe were a little calmer, a little less willing to be open to bombastic rhetoric and, and so on. Uh, so he wasn't able to win enough converts while he was in office. Yeah. Finally, well, if you look at his legislative accomplishments, they're pretty minimal, right? I mean, the First Step Act remains a very bad, very bad tax act is left partly intact and partly disappearing. And his executive orders, for the most part, have all been replaced. And so... Mixed bag. Uh, I love that he ran. I love what he represented. I think he showed great courage, but he's like everybody else who steps off the boat first. And that's what he did. He stepped off the boat on the beach first. It's not about the guy that steps off first. He usually doesn't make it. It is about the people that follow and what they do afterwards. And that's the jury's still out. Well, okay. And we can, we could do a whole show on Trump, good or bad. um, um, And you know, and some of the things you say, I agree with some you don't, but what I do want to get to, and you segued into it perfectly is, okay, so the rest of us getting off the boat as a dissidence, right? What, what do we do? Right. So I, I, by the way, inside my essay, there are a ton of specific different suggestions and ideas for people. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a recovery guy. So we have a great expression. We always say, you know, Take what you like and leave the rest behind. So, okay. uh, you know, people can read those ideas and some will work for them and some won't. And that's OK. But at least at least I offer some ideas. Uh, the very first thing you need to do, though, is you need to embrace a yeah. mindset and an understanding that this is going to be a very, very long protracted battle and that it is not about elections. It just isn't. Elections are important but they're not as important as we think they are. Uh, If we had had a red wave in 2022, one that we were never going to get, but if we had had one, do you think that the people who have invested over a century through generations in trying to take collective control of us would have gone into their backyard, sat around, poured a stiff drink and said, gosh, we blew it. It's all over now. Right. Yeah. Certainly Mark, Mark not. Mark Elias would not have done that in the law for right. people in the Brookington. Yeah. No, nobody would have done that. More to the point. Let's say that there had been a red wave again and we had we had the House and Senate. And, and let's even say that we had veto uh, proof uh, majorities in both, something that was never going to happen. But let's say that we had it. All right. Now what? Well, the the other side, the collectivist side hold and control some really key pieces of real estate. They own the educational system K through college. They own the federal bureaucracy. They own virtually every large municipal government. They own the entertainment industry. They own the large corporate boardrooms. 
and they own the mainstream media. If this were a military battle, we would be so badly out positioned that it wouldn't make any difference if there was more of us than there were of them. They're holding all the strategic spots and they are not going to surrender them. So you have to brace yourself for the fact that it's going to be a very long game. And one one of the things that I encourage people to do, I mention this all the time because this is a simple one and yet it's really very powerful. And I'll frame it for you this way. I believe that the two most important dissidents in all of human history, one on the secular side and one on the religious side, were Socrates and Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Both of them changed the course of civilization. Now, they had two things in common. First of all, they were both killed for their dissidency. That's not so good. No. (laughs) The other thing that they had in common is that they changed the course of history by asking questions. Ah. And, And I encourage people that when they are in the public square, when they are confronted with arbitrary authority, to ask to stand in front of that authority with others as witnesses and to ask why and to ask why not. And when you do that, it's not because you're going to get a decent answer out of the person who's putting their boot on your throat. It's because when they do answer, the people around you are going to hear the answer. And when they hear the answer, those people that aren't necessarily engaged, those people who aren't paying attention, those people are going to start to hear those things. and They're going to hear those answers over and over again. And finally, they're going to start to say, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't seem right. And we need to reach those people who aren't engaged. Because if we can do that over time, we can pull them to our cause. And if we pull enough of them to our cause, suddenly we're in a shipyard in Gdansk. And that's exactly what we need to do. Well, and I agree, you know, and I think back again to the example with my two friends, right? They And they were the ones asking the question. It's like, why are there a bunch of illegal Venezuelan immigrants in my rec center? So I can't use it anymore, right? And why is my natural gas bill? And you're like, well, and, and you're absolutely right. And sometimes I think that's what gives me optimism to a certain extent is that there are a lot of people maybe who weren't really paying much attention, but who are now, I mean, it's being forced in, in front of their face, right? When you go to the rec center and you can't go in. And then she said, her daughter is saying, why are all these people here, right? And I think, I mean, those are two little examples, but I think you're right. And pretty soon you're dissidents, but but they become way more of us than them. And I think it is interesting to see, I mean, you know, the FBI is forced to say that the Twitter files that are being released are lies. It's just misinformation being put out by people. And and I don't think any the people I think who choose to believe that because it fits their narrative, but I don't think anybody really believes the FBI about all of that now. And Twitter, I think, is going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Well, let 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 me let me be unequivocally clear about our FBI. Uh, the difference right now between uh, the FBI and the East German Stasi is uh, simply the letters and the name and the language they speak. This is a federal police force that is completely now and totally out of control. I am tired of hearing, oh, it's not the regular agents that work there. It's the people in charge. That's not true. If you're part of the FBI now, you're part of the problem. Right. And, you know, we have a whole culture. You know, you can flip on your TV tonight. I don't know what's on. I don't watch American TV. I love British television. (laughs) But uh, you can flip on your TV, and I guarantee you there's at least one show on tonight that glorifies the FBI. 
and they're really yeah. smart and they're really brave and they're all, by the way, they all look really young and really fit and handsome and pretty. And uh, they're doing just incredible things to solve crimes and protect people. We call that fiction. Right now, this is a national state police force that has been dedicated really, really, truly since its inception Yes, to, be, yeah. to, be, to engage in nefarious activities against private citizens. It simply has gotten bolder and technology has helped it. So the things it's able to do today because of social media, because of listening technology, wasn't able to do those things in J. Edgar Hoover's time. Make no mistake, he'd be all on board with this where he's still oh, alive. Exactly. And we've, I, I, we've done plenty in our show because we have some personal experience with this. Listen, Brett, we've been talking with Brett Hamachek. I, I hate to let you go. You've just been wonderful. Where, because there are people kind. kind of wondering, where can people find you, read you, get more information? Well, uh, you can you can read me when I write at uh, humanevents.com. And, uh, you know, I do that on occasion. I have just had the great pleasure of publishing a book that I co-authored with the late Dr. Vladimir Zelenko called Zelenko. You can buy that book on Amazon and all of the proceeds, including my share, go to the Zelenko Freedom Foundation to support Zeb's legacy and his work. He was a courageous man and, a, and a, made the, the true hero's journey. So I would encourage people to pick up that book and read it. Uh, I actually read the reviews on Amazon today for the first time, and they were pretty good. I kind of made me smile. I thought, wow, that's 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 nice. It was uh, reaffirming. And the last thing I would tell your viewers to do is, uh, if I can close with a final thought, is this. Uh, go to a website called commongroundcampus.com uh, that uh, my partner, Felissa Blazek, and I have started. And Common Ground Campus is something that uh, where we go around the country to uh, colleges and high schools, and we take students on different side of an issue. And instead of debating the issue, we bring them up on stage and we have them try to find common ground on the issue. And here's my closing thought and why this is so important. Imagine this totalitarian beast that we're fighting. I'm going to give it a physical form. I'm going to say that it's in the shape of an obelisk. And at the base of that obelisk are the people who are aggressively trying to take away our rights. But up inside that obelisk, as you go towards the top, it's just loosely filled with people who might be supporting that effort, who might be on board with that effort, but not consciously and not deliberately. They're just part of it. They've just gone along with it. There's two ways to topple an obelisk. One is to push really hard at the bottom of it with enough force and generate enough inertia that you might be able to tip it over. The other way to do it is to throw a grappling hook around the top and to try to pull it down towards you. But there's a third way, and that's to push and to pull at the same time. And one of the things we need to understand as dissidents is that not everybody is our enemy. Not everybody even who disagrees with us is our enemy. They can be reached. So we need to know when to push and we need to know when to pull Common Ground Campus is that uh, is Felicia and my uh, our effort, uh, wow. our way of trying to pull. And so I'd urge people to do both. 
All right, sir. Well, thank you, Brent. That was amazing. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you, sir. We Merry thank you Christmas. for your time. Hey, Merry and Christmas. I, and I want to take this opportunity to say happy holidays, Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, happy whatever, happy Festivus um, to the guys, the great guys at BBS Radio, everybody on Zoom. Remember, you can catch all our shows at chuckandjulie.com. Um, we're going to be taking Friday off. Um, I think we'll replay the Monday show. So if you missed that with Ted Trimper, that was great. But thank you to everybody have a wonderful holiday. We'll see you soon.